0: You're, you're, you're listening to the World Wide Sports Radio Network. I, it's time to wake up with the Morning Boys on World Wide Sports Radio Network. And here's your host, here's your host Ryan Hickey. Ryan Hickey.
1: Good Monday morning, and welcome into the worldwide sports. Oops. As we try not to break the studio to get this Monday show started off here. Okay. Mondays, folks, you know, Mondays. That is. (laughs) All right, there we go. Welcome into the worldwide sports right now, Eric, as we, again, try not to break the studio and try to get this Monday show off on the right note. Being a Mets fan, I think I'm used to disappointment, used to getting. getting kind of lifted up just to get put down and look at that. We start the show off two seconds in can't even get anything right just like the Mets starting off this season but I think we're good to go. I think we're rolling here and we do welcome you in on this Monday morning. Hopefully you had a great weekend enjoyed watching live baseball live sports for once. I know uh, it was a great great weekend well at least for one day until the Mets actually started playing and you, you remember. Just why you were left with so much disappointment and so much sadness year in and year out. But nonetheless, it was still great to watch some baseball. It was still great to see some actual live sports get going here on a weekend and have something to look forward to. That's not, you know, kind of the same old that we've been doing the last four or five months. This is really the first time to kind of break away from the normal um, routine that we've been in. And like I said, to look forward to something. It was a joy. It was nice. So that was obviously, hopefully, if you are a big baseball fan or just a sports fan thirsting for, for, some, uh, for some live action, hopefully you enjoyed it. And we will start with some big, big takeaways from this weekend um, to uh, start the show here. But also, we talked about some of the new rule changes a few weeks ago. There is one pitcher that just absolutely hates a new rule change. And judging by social media... There's one rule change MLB did everyone hates, but I am absolutely in love with. We saw it a lot this past week. I'm going to tell you what it is and why I love it so much. We'll get to that in about 20 minutes or so. The New York Knicks, is this the one? Finally, is there some hope that maybe they can get out of just the malaise, get, not, not try to be a dumpster fire that they have been for really almost my entire lifetime in the last two decades for sure? They make a new head coaching hire, Tom Thibodeau, we'll discuss. Is that the right move? Is the direction that they want to go in by hiring Thibodeau, or Thibodeau, excuse me, the right way to go? We'll see. Thibodeau, I think at 9:40, top of the second hour, 10 o'clock Eastern, we had a big trade over the weekend. Jamal Adams, big safety for the Jets, goes and uh, gets traded to the Seahawks. He gets his wish. He's been very vocal over the last few weeks about wanting a trade because he wasn't getting a new contract. He gets his wish. He goes to the Seahawks. But now the Seahawks put a lot of pressure on themselves. Giving up two first-round picks is is no small uh, price to pay for a safety that now you still have to pay and give a big contract to at some point. So we'll discuss the teams with the most pressure. I have five teams, five NFL teams heading into the 2020 season that have the most pressure on them. I'll tell you which ones those are and which NFL team has the most pressure on it uh, in this 2020 season. 10-20, obviously we have 2020 or Apocalypse. The number one seed, Joseph Piedel, had a great, great debut in his regular season edition of 2020 or Apocalypse. He has taken on the upstart, the hot, the underdog, the 10 seed Mike Masegla, who in the regular season got in, made the playoffs on the last question, got in by the skin of his teeth, gets in the playoff round, upsets the number seven seed Mike Pooley, and now he advances to the Elite Eight. So the number one seed versus the underdog, the Cinderella, if as you will, the 10 seed Mike Masegla will do that at 10 20. And we'll finish off. I do want to hit on the Jamal Adams trade in this sense. Jamal Adams, like I said, was very vocal on wanting out from the Jets, wanted a new contract, felt he was misled, didn't trust the general manager, uh, Joe Douglas, didn't have a great relationship with head coach Adam Gase, and he, again, was not shy to voice his uh, discontent and his displeasure with the Jets organization and the the direction they're going in. He got out. He got his wish, right? You rarely see it in the NFL where a player is upset, they're disgruntled, and they actually get out and force a trade. The NBA, we see it all the time. But now player empowerment is really starting to come into the NFL. We've seen it for a few players. I'm curious your thoughts. Is this a good thing for sports? If you're a Jets fan, I'm sure you're a little upset. But is player empowerment, is seeing players basically dictate their terms, dictate where they want to go or dictate that they want to leave and actually have that be accomplished, actually have that player get to do wants. I'm curious on we'll the show at that. If it's a good thing, if you like seeing player empowerment kind of take over sports and have a lot of players almost basically call their own shots um, I'll tell you why I do like it, and I think it's a good sign, not just for for the players, but I think for sports fans overall, I'll tell you why to finish off the show at 1040. But like I said, MLB opening weekend. You had, of course, in the year 2020, as it always is, you get baseball back on Thursday night, Nationals, Yankees, and some rain comes, you only get six innings. Um, of course, so that's just how 2020 is. Um, and now we have a full weekend of baseball in the books, some big takeaways so far. Um, and one, the biggest takeaway I have right now, that it is an ongoing sort of, of event that we have to watch here that I think is going to be very important, um, not just for Major League Baseball season to continue, but really, honestly, any major sport to continue. The NFL is, is going to watch very closely. NBA and NHL are going to watch very closely what happens in the next few hours here. And that is something that we're going to start with the biggest take right here, is, that it is how Major League Baseball is going to handle the virus. I thought for the most part, the first few days, they handled it well. Thursday afternoon, the news comes out that the great National star Juan Soto comes uh, is positive for coronavirus. He misses opening day, he hasn't played yet. But for the most part, outside of him, you haven't seen too many players in the Nationals. You haven't seen the, the virus spread. And so far, it was isolated just to Juan Soto, which is what you hope, right? Because I think, you know, we, we can't be naive here. Players are going to get sick. The virus is going to spread. It's just how do you mitigate the spread? How do you contain it to just one or two players getting sick and not having an outbreak on a whole team? And now we are going to watch in real time how Major League Baseball handles it? Because what happened with the Marlins on Sunday and now what's going on right now is going to be a big test case for to see, can Major League Baseball survive? Can sports really function without some sort of bubble? Um, and even if the virus does infiltrate the bubble, like in the NBA and the NHL, how can they mitigate the spread? Because so far, in case you missed it, yesterday the Marlins had three players Sunday morning miss the game uh, for what was coronavirus. They had a fourth player on Friday test positive so the Marlins currently four players out with coronavirus, and now we are seeing possibly a possible spread, a possible um, outbreak on the team. The Marlins decide not to travel from Philadelphia back to Miami last night. They're going to travel this morning. Um, part part of that decision was because they want to see who else test a positive and not go home to their families if they have a ton of players that are sick or that do have the virus. And now we're going to see because – Despite having, you know, Sunday morning waking up, having three different pitchers—I'm uh, sorry, three different players—excuse me, get uh, test positive and miss the game on Sunday, they still decide to play the game. And the hope is that, okay, if you can just mitigate and isolate it to just these players, you hope it's okay. The players were tested late Saturday, and no other player was positive or had symptoms going into Sunday's game. But we still don't know. And now this is where it gets interesting. Because you have the Phillies uh, playing the Yankees. You have the Orioles now going out to Miami to play the Marlins. In theory, one team right now in the Marlins, if there are multiple players that are sick, if there are currently players that are asymptomatic, and we don't find that out until two, three, four days from now, the virus is going to spread, and we're going to really see in real time how quickly this virus can spread, not only within a team, but to other teams as well. You had Bryce Harper wearing a mask on base yesterday just to take an extra precaution to make sure he stays healthy. The Marlins are a real-life test case to see the spread of the virus and how good MLB's policies are of mitigating and containing the spread. Like I said, I thought so far you had a few players on a few different teams um, miss opening day or miss the series and again, for the most part, you only hear one or two isolated incidents on that specific team. The Marlins are the first team where we have an outbreak, so that's my biggest take right here is we are seeing one weekend in, three games into the season, we are currently seeing now MLB's testing protocols and really it's getting pushed to the limit of can this actually work? Can they mitigate the spread? Remember, when you had the summer camp 2.0, a lot of the players coming back, the positive rates were very low, and there's plenty of teams, including the Marlins, mind you. The Marlins were one of 13 teams before – the series in Philadelphia started that had zero positive tests when summer camp resumed, and they had about three or four weeks of, of spring training, 2.0. So this is a new development, whether they got it going from the airport. Obviously, Miami is, is an epicenter. So whether it was leaving, whether it was somewhere in Philadelphia where a player first contracted it, we are seeing right now, with no bubble around major baseball players, and testing so far, as we know, not exactly rapid, especially in this case. We will see truly how great MLB's plans are to handle the virus and try to mitigate the spread. Because obviously this is going to be the most important part of the season. If an outbreak happens, if the Marlins played the game yesterday and we find out you know, two or three days from now that there are multiple players that played in that game that tested positive, that are asymptomatic when the tests first started, and they possibly infected Philadelphia Phillies players, they possibly infected other Marlins players, and God forbid if they do decide to play tonight against the Orioles, they, did, they infect Orioles players and so on, MLB is in big trouble and the NFL is going to be in big trouble. And it's a sobering reminder that all the precautions you can take, all the testing you want to do, the virus is still here, the virus is still prevalent. That's at least my biggest takeaway so far. How MLB is going to handle the virus is getting pushed to the limit. I thought, like I said, and you hear a few players testing positive over the weekend. It sounded good. I thought, honestly, that was almost the best-case scenario. I was planning, up until late last night and now reading more this morning, I was planning on patting LB on the back. I thought they've done a great job so far. Testing is low in, in spring training. A few players get sick the weekend. They removed them from the lineup. So far, we haven't heard of any other players getting sick in any other teams like the Nationals. But the Marlins are a great example so far of just what truly can happen even if you take all the precautions. The virus is still prevalent, and we hope, knock on wood, knocking on wood as we speak, that none of the players are seriously sick and that the virus has been contained. No other players played yesterday carrying the virus and not knowing it. So we'll see how MLB handles it, and they're getting pushed to the limits. And no, I guess, you know, this is this is going to be the, the major, major test right here. It's things to say that there's a, there's a chance if this, goes, if this goes awry, that the, that the season could be shut down or at least paused maybe before it even starts. So fingers crossed MLB can uh, handle the virus. We'll see how that goes. We'll monitor the situation even this morning to see what the deal is with the Marlins if they do travel, if more, tases, if more tests excuse me, come back positive. We'll keep updated as we're here until 11 a.m. Uh, on the East Coast. Other uh, takeaway I had, actually talking about specific games, historic parity. To start the year. Over this weekend. You had no team start 3-0. Which means no team started 0-3. First time since 1954. That no team in baseball started 0-3 or 3-0. The odds of this happening is 1.3%. So this is just a a great example to show. Everyone is still working back. Everyone is on the same playing field. You had the Marlins. One of the worst teams in baseball. start out 2-1. You had the Orioles. Excuse me. When their first years on the Red Sox the Giants, another horrendous team this year, split with the Dodgers, won two games, lost two games. Everyone is working back, everyone's still trying to get in shape and chosen in, in a sprint of a season. maybe some of these easier games, some of these throwaway games all oh, this team's going to be bad and, you know in a normal year you would roll over them. not this year. first time since 1954. You had no team start 3-0 or 0-3. Historic parity to start this just ever-crazy and wild 2020 season. Speaking of which, it's going to be weird to say, but this is my, my third takeaway. It's going to be a war of attrition in 2020 more than ever. I feel like we usually use that phrase and that saying when it comes to the NFL. For the most part, the, the healthiest team in the NFL wins the Super Bowl. right? They have obviously the best um, or more star players out on the field than anyone else. And for the most part, injuries are, are really the biggest way to kind of derail a talented team and prevent them from going to the Super Bowl. Baseball, as we know, it's a marathon. And you think the more games played, the more chance players get hurt, the longer time they miss. And in theory, you know, it, it, is, it is a war, but it's almost a marathon. But in the sprint of a year, when it's just 60 games, when you have spring training start, then stop, now that it's restarting again, you're going to have more injuries. And it's truly going to be an actual war of attrition. See who could stay the healthiest, who has done the best job at keeping their players healthy, working them along easily. And sure, more than ever, soft tissue injuries and other um, injury, other injuries don't happen. Yeah, Justin Verlander right now, the Astros, going to shut it down. Reports out that he can miss the entire year. Justin Verlander himself said it's just a forearm strain, but either way, he's getting shut down for two weeks at the earliest. So no throwing for Verlander for two weeks is going to be a long time. Corey Kluber left his start with some shoulder tightness after just one inning in his debut at the Rangers, and Marcus Stroman before he even got a start on the mound for the Mets. Torres Caffin is out for six weeks, so you're going to have a ton of players now. These next few weeks here, as we get ramped up, trying to squeeze in 60 games in a very short window, essentially just a little over two months. It truly is more than ever, more than a season of 162 games. It's going to be war attrition. The healthiest team is going to win, and we're going to see a lot more injuries going forward in the next few weeks here. So more than ever, more than a normal 162-game marathon, a short 60-game sprint. It's going to be a war of attrition, more than really we've ever seen in baseball. Um, so that's the third tip game. And finally, the last takeaway I have from, from this weekend, mask ejections are just, I mean, hilarious. It, it, you, Seeing managers and, and, and umpires argue is always great, right? It's always exciting. You see the animation, you see the manager pointing in the umpire's face. Maybe he throws his hat or kicks some dirt. It's great. The more animated, the better. But to watch our first ejection yesterday, coming from the Pirates Cardinals game, which you had home plate umpire Jordan Baker eject not only, not, not the manager, Derek Shelton, eject Pirates pitcher Derek Holland, who is sitting in the stands, mind you, not playing as a, as a pitcher. Sitting in the stands, just watching the game. He's chirping. Boom, he gets ejected. And then you have the Pirates manager, Derek Shelton, come out. And the, the funniest part is just seeing the mechanics of how this worked. You see the ejection happen. You see the manager run out. And before, basically, they run out, and then they both stop. The umpire takes his mask off, and what does he do? He goes in his pocket and puts his mask on. Derek Shelton comes out, stops, puts his mask on. And it's just funny to see, you kind of see, okay, this guy's coming out to argue with me. Let me let, we can take our precautions. Everyone stops. And to see that the mask's getting put on, it was just, it was unintentionally very, very funny. And then to see them stay socially distant as well. Usually, again, you, you are chest to chest, nose to nose, with a, if you have a good umpire manager argument. See them, you know, <laughs> keep their space. Almost looks like, you know, with the mask on and keeping their space, it almost looks like a cordial discussion. But it was anything but cordial. Very funny to see, you know, again just the mechanics you have to have to, in order to make sure and ensure safety, ensure social distancing, and sh- ensuring, excuse me, that the mask is on and, and no one's getting, uh, no one is getting sick. So that was just unintentionally very funny. If you haven't seen it, I would highly suggest looking it up. Um, it's on Twitter. It's on any social media. Very easy to find. Just you can do "pirate's ejection," and it is, uh, it, it is very funny. So I'm just curious, what, what's your biggest takeaway from MLB's opening weekend? We have baseball back. You see currently right now MLB is getting tested with four players on the Marlins contracting the virus, and we'll see if, if more players become sick, and we'll see if they will even play tonight and how MLB is going to handle an outbreak so far in the team. It's going to be a war of attrition. You've had already historic parity to start the year. So I'm curious, what's your biggest takeaway uh, from MLB opening weekend? Um, we'll discuss that, and when we come back, there is one MLB rule, one new rule for 2020 that I love and everyone else hates. Tell you what it is when the morning boys Ryan Hickey return right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
0: It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. It, it's time to wake it's up, right up with the morning boys the morning boy. on Worldwide Sports Radio Network, and here's your, here's host, your host Ryan Hickey. Ryan Hickey.
1: The absolute nightmare scenario for Major League Baseball is happening as we speak. We just started the show coming off saying, you know, this is a big weekend for MLB. We'll see how they handle it. At the time, just even three minutes ago before we learned, um, only four players on the Marlins were sick. Obviously, they they waited um, in Philadelphia for more tests to see um, who's positive or not, and we'll see going forward how MLB is going to handle it. Well, those tests came back as you have Jeff Passon just about 10 minutes or so ago tweeting, Eight more players and two coaches of the Marlins have tested positive as an outbreak has spread through their clubhouse, and now the total cases for the Marlins over the weekend is up to 14. That is the absolute worst-case scenario for Major League Baseball. The home opener against the Orioles has been canceled. No, No word so far if they'll play tomorrow, when they'll play again, and what the protocol is going to be for the Marlins with 14 cases now of coronavirus since the season started on Friday. And even worse now, not only is that just bad, you have a complete outbreak in the clubhouse. It's bad because those eight players and those two coaches were on the field, were in the clubhouse and intermingled with the Phillies yesterday, which is the last, absolute last thing you want when you have Teams that are playing that are asymptomatic, that don't know it, now could spread the virus to other teams, and we'll see what the domino effect is. You have to assume at least that if those players are going to get tested again. Like I said, you had Bryce Harper and some other players wearing masks yesterday specifically because they heard the news that a few players on the Marlins tested positive. And this is also why I'm really glad, at least for – that they're, they're coming out with the actual numbers because MLB original plan, their initial plan – so now make the numbers public. If a player contracted the virus, they're going to put on the I.L. And there's no, you know, you can get away. You're saying I oh, can't tell you what it is. I mean, obviously, we assume we, we know what it is. But I really didn't like at the time that Major League Baseball was not going to be clear. About who's sick and who's not. Because I feel like if anything, the more clarity, the better. The more clarity, the more you know about who is sick and when they got sick. The easier, in theory, you hope that it is to try to mitigate the spread, do contact tracing, and see who actually came in contact with the person or not. And now, as I said, eight different, eight more players, two more coaches become sick. The number for the Marlins is up to 14. We'll see if even the Marlins are allowed to play the next few weeks, what's going to happen if the whole season is going to get paused, if just the Marlins have to forfeit these games. But you think Magic Baseball can't keep putting them out there. Whether it's a two-week quarantine and they just forfeit, something has to happen because it's too, as we see, the spread happens too quickly to even take a chance and allow more of the league to get exposed to one team that clearly is infected. So we'll see. The ball's in Major League Baseball's court, and I'll say this. Obviously, Major League Baseball is the first team to resume, major, major team to resume if hockey and basketball come up this weekend. Doesn't make me exactly, you know, feel great or give me a lot of confidence. That major league baseball, who can't get out of their own way with really anything, any sort of, of issue you put in front of them, they have a tough time clearing that hurdle. It's not exactly the best feeling in the world knowing that major league baseball now is going to have to lead the way for other major sports to see how it's done and either be used as an example of this is how you this is how you uh, deal with positive tests going forward and still continue a season. Or they're going to be an example of this is how not to do it. How Major League Baseball is going about it is the complete opposite way to do it. They handle it the wrong way. The season gets shut down. And it's just an absolute mess. Three games into the year, the first outbreak happens. Again, the coronavirus reminding everyone that it's still here. It's still prevalent. And we'll see how Major League Baseball handles it. But the game tonight or their season opener, uh, excuse me, home opener, Against the Orioles has been canceled. No word yet on the rest of the series. No word yet on the future of the Marlins, but 14 players and coaches currently test positive for the coronavirus to keep you updated with anything that comes about from Major Baseball. We'll see how they handle it because they got to work quickly here. ton of games being played today. The Yankees are supposed to be going to Philly to play the Phillies. Supposed to be in the same clubhouse the Marlins just were in. Playing against a team the Marlins just played against yesterday with eight players and two coaches that played in yesterday's game or at least in the dugout in the in the in the ballpark that had the virus but did not know it. So Rob Manfred already already getting tested, baptism by fire, for this season. And it's like I said, I, I have I would have more confidence if it was Adam Silver in the NBA. I'd have more confidence if it was Roger Goodell in the NFL. Dealing with the first outbreak rather than Major League Baseball. The biggest moment of the season happens just four days after it starts. So we'll keep you updated. We hope, obviously, that all the players and coaches are okay. They seem to all be asymptomatic, which is obviously a good thing. We hope that they recover, have no underlying health issues going forward, and do recover in a quick and timely manner. But we'll see uh, We'll see what happens. There was just actually talk about some real baseball that happened over the weekend, though. Because... <laughs> At this point, we may have already seen the last of baseball, but hopefully, if not, there's one rule, and there's one pitcher uh, specifically that hates the new rule that I feel like I really love, but social media hated, a lot of fans did not like, and that's the new extra innings rule, where if the game is tied, you go to extra innings, you put a runner on second base to start the new inning with no one out. Already, you give each team a chance to score runs. It was the debut of that. We didn't really. It sounded at least good on paper and actually see it in real life, to me, I thought it worked great. I thought it really, really, really helped uh, add some intensity to the game. I thought it worked out well. I thought it brought some excitement. I thought really, for the most part, it was a win-win. But like I said, not everyone liked it. Actually, most people did not like the rule. And the one pitcher that went on the record that was very frustrated with the new rule happened to be Indians pitcher Mike Clevenger. say he was not happy about it. He tweeted after uh, Saturday's game, when the Indians did lose an extra innings 3-2. to two. He tweeted, This new extra inning rule is the wackiest bleep I've ever seen. Do you have any idea how hard it is to get a runner to second uh, to second off the back end of a bullpen? Hashtag, this isn't travel ball. Hashtag, make a murder and tag Major League Baseball. So there you go. There's a pitcher. Obviously, it makes sense. A pitcher does not like the extra inning rule. It favors the offense. It favors scoring. And obviously, with his team in the losing end, uh, in the first extra inning game of the year for Cleveland, Makes sense, he's upset. But reading this tweet, hearing Mike Clevenger talk about how hard it is to get a runner second base off the back end of the bullpen, he answers his own uh, question as to why this rule is so great. He laid it out perfectly. Bullpens the way they're constructed right now. With every guy coming in fresh, every guy throwing 98, 99, 100 miles an hour, it's becoming harder and harder for players and hitters to get on base and score runs. It's tough. Right now, the pitchers have the advantage. Obviously, we know the home run ball is prevalent, and the home runs keep on going up. But it is tough to have any success with so these bullpens. You have constantly have guys coming in and throwing harder and harder. So, which what does that happen? Then it leads to longer games with not much excitement. To be honest, like this is—I've seen this a lot on social media. Oh man! No more 18 inning games. No more 19 inning games. No more 20 innings. I'll take I'll take that. I'll take one of those marathon games, than ending the game in the 10th inning right away. Who honestly stays up to watch an 18 inning extra inning game? Does anyone? Let's be honest here. You can try to stay up, but most of these games that go extra innings and go, you know, 17, 18, 19 innings, you have worked the next day. What happens on a weeknight? A seven o'clock local start game doesn't end until one or two a.m. Are you really staying up to watch all all uh, all extra innings? You can try, but most people don't make it. I know for a fact. I don't when I when I think of baseball, I don't root and hope for extra innings. I don't want a fifteen, a sixteen, a seventeen inning game. You're in the twilight zone by the time you get that late. You have pitching now. You have position players coming in to pitch. You're burning through your bullpen. That's not something I I wanted for, I yearned for, and I don't miss it. This new rule adds excitement. It makes it intense right away. Not to mention, for talking about viewership, we're talking about making the game more exciting. MLB needs fans. They need excitement. They need to draw fans in. Having games go to extra innings that, boom, right away put intensity, put intrigue, put pressure on other teams, it helps increase viewership. Think about it. If now I know, if I'm hanging out at home, big Mets fan, if the game's over, the Mets are off, and I'm kind of flipping the channels, I stumble onto a, a game that's in the 10th or 11th inning, I'm putting it on, because guess what? Right away, I know there's action. Right away, you're starting the run on second base, and you can either try to score for a beginning, and you know one or another, every pitch, every at bat is intense. Whereas if you get to the 15th inning, the 16th inning, the 17th inning, and you have position players that have been out there the whole time, they're tired, they're fatigued. And you still have bullpen guys coming in throwing hard. There's no, it's a point of no return. You're hoping for a mistake. Those games are just honestly boring to watch. So I love this new format. I love the excitement right away. I love as soon as it goes extra innings, boom, right away, before we even come back from commercial, here we go, it's intense. So not only does it add more intrigue, and again, like Mike Clevenger said, do you know how hard it is to get a runner on second base on the back end of bullpen? Mike, it's really hard. You know that. We all know that. Boost scoring. Put more intense situations on teams. It's part of the reason why playoff baseball is so much more popular than the regular season. Every pitch, especially in playoff baseball, Every pitch is intense. Every pitch means something, literally. In the third inning, you can have a run on second base and two outs. It's a huge at-bat right there. Where in the most part, any other game right now, okay, I mean, sure, you want to prevent the run, but it's not that big of a deal. That's why I play baseball is so popular, and it's impossible, for the most part, for baseball in the regular season to have that much intensity to match up with that pressure in that moment. And you do that right away with putting a runner on second base to start extra innings. So not only does it make it easier to score and add more intensity, it adds more strategy. I'm a National League fan. I hate the designated hitter. I hate it. To me, it makes a manager's job a lot easier. It takes away part of the strategy from the game. And it doesn't allow those more creative managers, the managers who know how to manage their roster, how to uh, manage the bullpen, how to manage pinch hitting. It takes that part away. So now, at least, especially the designated hitter in both leagues, you add more strategy that before wasn't there. Because guess what? You have multiple different ways to try to get a run in extra innings. Do you play for one run? Do you get conservative and hope that you get this run in from second base, you could, and your bullpen could come in and hold them and keep them scoreless? Or do you say, you know what? We're both in a situation. It's going to be tough. We might as well try to score as many runs as possible. Because guess what? We know they're going the other team's going to get their opportunity when they come up to the plate. And they're going to have a chance to score multiple runs. We saw both strategies this weekend in the Royals game, the Royals-Indians game. I just uh, related to or just talked about with Mike Clevenger. The Royals' approach in the tenth inning was this: so you obviously say the runner on second base, sacrifice bunt to get the runner to third base, sacrifice fly to get the runner in. You had a walk, and then that that runner on first base trying to steal second was caught stealing. So you had the Royals win the game. With a sack bunt, a sack fly, a walk, and a caught stealing, technically no one came up to bat an official at bat in the 10th inning for the Royals, and they still won. So the Royals played for one run, and it worked. You had the Braves when they played the Mets on Saturday; they played for the big inning. They they started swinging, they brought their boppers up there, and they were hitting, and they scored three runs. And I guess what? it worked out because guess what? The very next thing they scored three runs. The Mets loaded the bases right away, and they scored a run. So it's not not a guarantee that one run wins you the game. Even three runs. I'll be honest. As a Mets fan, when the Braves scored three runs, I was upset. Okay, it's a bummer. But then you know, okay, right away you got to run on second base. Lead off double. You get a walk, a base hit, all of a sudden the tying run comes to the game. So it encourages teams to be aggressive in extra innings. I know people say it's boring to watch sacrifice bunts and sacrifice flies win the game. But you have to be aggressive more than not. Both both strategies can work. But it depends on which manager what they prefer. So it adds more strategy, adds more intrigue. And it gives more responsibilities to the manager, which as we know, and as I said, that's becoming less and less. The general manager now in the analytics department has a lot of say in how the lineup is made. The designated hitter basically takes away a lot of the pinch hitting, pull on a starter doing double switches, it, it takes a lot of that strategy out of the game. But adding a runner at second base, figuring out, okay, do we play for the one run and, and think our guy can hold it, or do we play for a big inning? Do we play to get a, a few runs across the board here? I think it's I think it's great for strategy. I think it's great for excitement. I think it's great to add pressure situations right away, and it's great for viewership. So I thoroughly enjoyed it, and this was coming from a fan whose team played in one extra inning game and lost. I'm not loving the format because the Mets benefited one game. I'm loving the format because right away you add intensity, you add intrigue, and you add scoring. Let alone provide managers with more strategy and make them think about more things. Can't just go to the binder and say, oh, what do we do here? Some moves and you try to be aggressive will backfire. All the times you try to play conservative, get the one run across, then the other team ends up scoring two. So I really enjoyed the format. I thought it really worked, but I really seemed to be in the minority. I saw a lot on social media of, of fans being upset, of players being upset, and not liking the new format. I understand baseball is a, is a sport that really hates change. It's an older fan base. You know, in the NFL and the NBA, really social media present, they have a younger fan base, so they are more apt to change. They are more okay w- w- with rules changing, with formats changing. But for baseball, you have a lot, a lot of traditionalists. Don't want to see the game change. Like it the way it is. And I feel like I, for the most part, fall into that category. I'm an old soul when it comes to baseball. I I really don't like change. I don't like much of the pace of play um, rules. I think that's misguided in terms of trying to uh, get more fans to buy in to watch the game. But anything that inv- includes more strategy, anything that really adds extra pressure and intrigue right away, I'm a fan of. So this is a wild card, a radical idea, but I really, really like it. I hope it stays past 2020. I really do. Traditionalists for most aspects of the game, but not this. I do love change. I think this is great, exactly what Major League Baseball needs. And I hope to see it here for a very long time. So I'm curious. We had a few games go extra innings. Mind you, every single game, by the way, ended in the 10th inning. Now, one game that went to extra innings this past weekend, an opening weekend, went past one inning. Either the team scored and held, or they scored and couldn't hold, and the other team obviously scored more. It adds intensity. It adds excitement right away, and it ends games earlier. I don't miss 18-inning games, I'll be honest. I really don't. So I'm a big fan of it. I hope it stays, but I'm curious your thoughts. After seeing it in action, after seeing it now live in a few different examples in a few different games, do you like the extra innings format? Do you like the change? Do you like that baseball now has put a runner on second base with no one out in in the uh, in extra innings to get the game going, to get the uh, the games flowing, more intensity, more st- or strategy involved? I love it. Social media doesn't like it. Players don't like it. I'm in the minority, it feels like, when it comes to the extra inning rule. I love it. I hope it stays for a while. Love to get your thoughts. World out Sports Network on Facebook. WWSRN underscore radio on Twitter. WWSRN underscore radio on Twitter. If we get your thoughts. Do you like the new MLB extra innings format? And when we come back, we'll also discuss uh, the New York Knicks hiring Tom Thibodeau over the weekend to be their next head coach. Is this direction that they finally should be going in? Is there actual hope that change can come come about at Madison Square Garden and the Knicks can be a uh, at least a contender? Going forward, we'll discuss that when the Morning Boys, Ryan Nicky, return right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
0: It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. It, it, it's time to wake up with the morning boys on <coughs> Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And here's your host, here's your host, host Ryan Hickey. Ryan Hickey.
1: And we are back here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network monitoring the breaking news, the unfortunate circumstances, the nightmare scenario that any sports league, a major league baseball, has to deal with, and that is an outbreak on the Miami Marlins. Currently, so far, four players tested positive and missed games throughout the weekend in Philadelphia. And it comes back this morning that eight more players, two more coaches at least, have contracted the virus and are positive. Um, John Heyman's reporting 40% of the Marlins traveling staff, um, that's coaches and players, at least have contracted the virus. So, numbers are a little, a little differing, but either way, they're in the same ballpark, about 14 to 15 players and coaches that have tested py- uh, positive so far. You have the Marlins and Orioles, their uh, home opener down there, Miami, has been postponed. We have no clue yet um, of word about the rest of the season, what's going to happen with games scheduled today. The Yankees are going down to Philadelphia to play the Phillies. Obviously, the Phillies were just exposed, um, not only to the Marlins, but also had the Marlins stayed in their visiting clubhouse, which the Yankees are going into. So we'll see how, if that game uh, is going to be played tonight. But like I said, Major League Baseball, of all the four major sports, right, NBA, NHL, NFL, MLB, MLB is the one I trust the least to handle this the right way. I'm a big baseball fan. And I think, for the mo- I think there's been certain, uh, certain scenarios and certain instances that Rob Manfred has been unfairly criticized. I think for the most part, a lot of the things that he has said or the lot of actions he has done, his hands were tied. I've defended him. And I still will defend him to this day about the Astros punishment. I think it's one of those situations where no player being uh, suspended was the right move because you have to, in, in order to figure out how the cheating went on, give the players immunity to give all the details. So I, I have his back, and I still believe that he made the right decision in that, um, in that situation, but a lot of people obviously don't feel that way. But I feel like, so Rob Manfred, I do feel, has done a better job than a lot of people like to think or give him credit for. With that said, as we know, Major Baseball is the one sport that really, I mean, they can't even chew gum and walk at the same time. They struggle with the simplest of problems. They struggle with solving. I think about it. We almost didn't have a baseball season this year in a time that baseball is struggling with the ratings, struggling in popularity. You've seen the NFL and the NBA both soar past them. The national pastime is not that anymore. And it looks the way the, the NFL has a stranglehold so far in the market. The NFL's going nowhere. So in a year that fans actually want baseball, there's no sports, and there's a time that MLB can actually market themselves to audiences they never were able to reach before. This is one of the best chances to get baseball back and, and on the national level, and guess what? Instead, they barely got the season. They barely got off the ground. So if they can't even, if they can't even agree to, to simple parameters to get a season going forward, if it took this long to struggle just to, for the common good, I have zero confidence, to be honest, that they can handle this in the right way. If it was the NBA, if it was the NFL, even the NHL. The NHL has their own problems with like Gary Bettman. Even if it was one of those three other leagues, I would feel more confident that they would handle this the right way. Whether it's postponing the season, whether it's having the Marlins forfeit two weeks' worth of their schedule. I would feel a lot more confident if, if any of the other three major sports leagues were the ones dealing with the first outbreak within a team and not Major League Baseball. So continue to keep you updated. We'll continue to say if any games are canceled or not. But let's just say my optimism is not high right now that MLB can handle this in the right way. So a lot of baseball talk, any opening day takeaways, um, any thoughts on the extra innings, the new extra innings format, putting a runner on second base, no one outs. We will take your, uh, take your thoughts, Facebook, World Wide Sports Network. Tweet us, Ryan underscore radio, WWSRN underscore radio. Or if you want to throw us uh, a, a tweet my way, Ryan underscore Hickey and the number three. Ryan underscore Hickey and the number three. Read your comments. We'll get your thoughts. But I do want to sprinkle in a little basketball here. the weekend, Knicks. Interviewed what it felt like a million different head coaches, um, a million different assistant coaches, trying to replace David Fisdale and then, in part, replace Mike Miller, who's the interim head coach. And they have landed the man. Tom Thibodeau is going to be the man to take over the helm for the New York Knicks. Obviously, he has a long-standing relationship with new general manager Leon Rose. And in the higher, the Knicks are hoping that Tom Thibodeau can bring the success he's had in Chicago, the success he's had in Minnesota, and being a former assistant coach on the staff, he knows what it takes to get the Knicks back in the right direction, back in the playoff contention, and basically out of just the, 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 uh, the basement, which they've been in for almost two decades outside of two or three good years. Thibodeau, as a head coach, his team's have made the playoffs six out of eight years. Five for five in Chicago, made it once in, in Minnesota, but they've also had some uh, historic issues making the playoffs just like the next year. And you look at at least what the Tom Thibodeau hire actually means. Because a lot of the, the Knicks head coaching hires, depending on who they hired, would show which direction they're going into. Right? For the most part, with Thibodeau getting hired, the direction that the Knicks are trying to go into, that they're telegraphing the direction they're trying to go into, that they are not here for development. They are really not into a rebuild. And instead, quickly trying to turn around the ship. They are hoping that with Thibodeau here, he can really have the success that he did in Chicago, have the success that he had in Minnesota, turn around quickly and at least get the Knicks into the playoffs. For me, I honestly don't like this approach. Because what I feel the Knicks are doing in this hope of their quick fix and there's hope of a quick turnaround to get back into the playoffs within a year or two, I feel like they've tried that the last few hires. It hasn't worked. They tried that with David Fizdale. They wanted to do that with Jeff Hornacek. And it's just the same thing. It's rinse and repeat. This is the guy that's going to lead us to the playoffs. This is the man that we want at the helm that's going to get the Knicks back, going to turn the organization around. And then in two years here, they're having the same conversation, talking about who's the next guy to turn the next around. Ah, you know Thibodeau. Ah, Fizdale. He didn't know this is this is our guy going forward. I don't like this approach the next they're going into. I don't like the direction they're heading into because they've tried it a bunch. It's the definition of insanity. What is the definition of insanity? When you try things over and you, well, I'm sorry, when you do things the same way over and over and over again and expect the same result. I mean, a different result. Excuse me. I really butchered that one. When you do the same thing over and over again and expect a different result. The Knicks have tried, in the last few coaching hires, to rebuild on the fly, hope to get a, a star somehow, whether it's through, via trade, whether it's through free agency, and then turn it around. Guess what? News flash for you, anyone in the Knicks organization, a.k.a. James Dolan, the one who continue has this fantasy, that every new head coach he, he brings in is going to be the guy that gets free agency or. Is going to be the guy to turn it around. That hasn't worked. The Knicks needed to go in the route of player development. Because guess what? They've been awful at it. They've been horrendous at drafting well and developing that talent. And the one time they've did it really well, that player's not on the team anymore. You you, you draft Chris Asporzingas, a very little-known guy. No one knew what to expect. He comes in and becomes a star. He shines. He gives Knicks fans hope. That this could be the play or the cornerstone to turn this organization around. And guess what? Porzingis was sick and tired of the backstabbing, of the lying, of ju- just the incompetent culture that starts at the top and bleeds down. And he said, get me out of here. My career is screwed if I'm staying here in New York for 10 or 15 years. He gets out, he goes to Dallas, and now him and Luka Doncic have a great one-two punch. They draft Frank Nilakina. They draft Kevin Knox. And guess what? They have not been able to develop them. I think there's a lot of talent there. I like Frank Nilekina. I want to see more of Kevin Knox. They have been horrendous at developing them. The Knicks have been so bad for so many years now. Always in the lottery conversation. Always hoping they're one big draft pick away from turning the ship around. But they have nothing to show for it. At least the Sixers, when they decide to tank, when they decide to trust the process... At least they got stars out of it. At least they developed young players. They got Joel Embiid. They got Ben Simmons. We'll see if it works. But at least they, they've developed those players to make them all-star caliber players, at least. They've turned that team around from a perpetual loser to at least playoff contender. A threat in the East. They they've done nothing. They've got nothing to show for it. So I'm concerned because now... You basically continue to go the route of hoping to get a star, hoping to turn the ship around quickly, and player development is not exactly a strength of Tom Thibodeau. When he went to Chicago, he had Joakim Noah, who's young and good. He had Derrick Rose, obviously, who won the MVP under his time. He had Carl Anthony Towns with the Timberwolves, traded for Jimmy Butler. Who's that young cornerstone piece that that you can point to on the Knicks right now and say, you know what, okay, he has this guy. That is what you'll use so far, and he can turn the team around with this guy as our cornerstone, as this guy's the main guy. I like R.G. Barrett. I like think he showed some flashes in his first year. But he's not a Derrick Rose when Thibodeau came to Chicago. He's not a cat when Thibodeau took the head coaching job with the Timberwolves. The Knicks should have went with a young, or excuse me, w- with a coach that can get the most out of his young talent. I really like Kenny Atkinson. I advocated before in the show that the Knicks should go down the route of bringing Kenny Atkinson in. Because guess what? The route Kenny Atkinson, or I guess the the route that Kenny Atkinson would would bring is how you truly bring stars and how you bring talent to New York. For a long time now, the Knicks have basically tried to will their way to bringing stars in. Every year, you hear James Jones say, oh, we're making a run. We're clearing up cap space now, so in 20-whatever, 2016, 2018, 2019, 2020, we could bring this guy in. It started with LeBron James. That didn't work. He goes to Miami. And every year, you hear the Knicks linked to some big superstar that's a year or two away from free agency, the latest being Kevin Durant. Guess what? They clear all this cap space out. They sign all these players to one-year deals. And then you have star players go elsewhere. And you have star players like Kevin Durant go into the same city, into a different borough, and pick the Nets. So wishing, hoping, praying that a star comes to New York is not the strategy to actually get a really good player to come to the Knicks. They signed Amari Stoudemire. You know why they signed a Stoudemire? Because he had health concerns and they paid him more than anyone else would want to pay him. They traded for Carmelo Anthony. Other than that, the Knicks have swung and missed on every single free agent or trade that they've been rumored or they've talked about uh, publicly to do. Kenny Atkinson, the reason why he got Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving to the to the Nets wasn't because he was out there vocally saying, Oh man, I can't wait to get these guys. You know, this is the year I feel like the Nets are going to really, you know, we're going to land, we're the new, you know, we're the Brooklyn Nets, excuse me. We're going to get a big time star for sure. No, he did it through developing a young core that was one star player away from being a real contender. The Nets were a very scrappy team last year, led by D'Angelo Russell. You had Karius LeVert when he was healthy. You had Spencer Dinwiddie. You had players, young players, develop and play really well. That got them to the playoffs. And you knew, looking at the Nets, the young core was there. The Clippers did the same exact thing. Clippers developed young players. They built a strong nucleus that was a playoff team without a superstar. And they were a finals contender with a superstar. You had Kawhi Leonard and Paul George go to the Clippers. You had Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving go to the Nets both the second-tier teams in that market. The Lakers are king, the Knicks are king in terms of of relevancy, in terms of fans, in that market, in terms of attention. But yet, the four biggest stars in free agency went to two teams that were second in that market because they developed their players, because they had built a strong nucleus that was one player away, one star player away from being legitimate contenders. And that road of development that building a nucleus from the bottom up, drafting well, more important than drafting well, developing those players is the one route the Knicks have yet to try. They go for the quick fix, they go for the band-aid, they go to hope, you know, to play for a seven seed or an eight seed and get to the playoffs. It hasn't worked. And with Tom Thibodeau, they're trying it again. They're dressing it up a little different. They're telling you things that are sort of the same, but a little different than past head coaching hires. But they're going down the same route. They're going down the same path. They've gone year and year and year after. So I hope Thibodeau's the I answer. I hope he could turn it around. I'm a Knicks fan. I want them to see them win. Say I'm skeptical at the least is what I'm feeling right now. Since 2002, only three head coaches of the Knicks have made it to their third year three have seen a third year since 2002, almost two decades. Think about that. I have a feeling we're going to have the same conversation in two years or three years from now because the Knicks, yet again, neglect to build a core, hope, wish, and pray that he can land a big star and get going. I hate to tell you, hoping, wishing, and praying isn't a strategy. That's a losing philosophy. And there's a reason why the Knicks have tried that philosophy for a while now, and it hasn't worked. So I'm curious, what are your thoughts about the Tom Thibodeau hire? Is he the right guy for the Knicks? The Knicks have been in dumpster fire for almost two decades. Is he the guy that can finally get them out of their misery, get them back into the playoffs? Because there's not much hope when you look at the Knicks. The roster is young and underdeveloped. No, there's zero reason why a big-time star either via trade or free, and so you would want to come to the Knicks. Hope is slim. Is Tom Thibodeau the guy to get the Knicks out of their malaise, get them back into relevancy, and really make them a respected franchise? Again, love to get your thoughts. World Art Sports Radio Network on Facebook, WWSR underscore radio. If you want to tweet me, Ryan underscore Hickey, in the number three. Ryan underscore Hickey in the number three. Is Tom Thibodeau the guy to get the Knicks out of the basement and get it back into the playoffs? So get your thoughts. And when we come back, the Seahawks made a big trade over the weekend with the Jets against Jamal Adams. Put a lot of pressure on themselves to be successful. Five teams going to 2020 that have the most pressure on them. in The NFL will tell you who that is when the Morning Boys Ronnie K return right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
0: It is it, the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. It, it, it's time to wake up with the Morning Boys, Morning boys. <laughs> on Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And here's your host, host, Ryan Hickey. Ryan Hickey.
1: Hickey. We're back here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. If you're having a little issue with the stream, we apologize. Had a little internet issue just towards the end of that segment. But we are back. So it's not you, it's not your computer. I promise it is us. But we've fixed the internet issues when we are back rolling here, just in time for our number two right here on the worldwide sports radio network. If you're just joining us, first of all, welcome. Thank you for uh, for watching and tuning in. We are um, talking a lot of MLB, especially now. We start with at least some overall takeaways and some baseball talk that has kind of shifted um, now, unfortunately, into how Major League Baseball is going to handle the virus. Eight players, two more coaches test positive for the coronavirus from the Marlins today. Their game with the, with the Orioles has been canceled. And now, really, with at least 14 Marlins players and coaches have tested positive over this weekend, League Baseball is going to really be in the pressure cooker to see how they handle this. And I just said this a little bit uh, a while ago, especially on Twitter, but I also reiterated it during the show. Major League baseball, out of all the four major NFL, over uh, the four sports leagues, MLB, NF, uh, NHL, NBA and uh, NFL, I trust the least to handle this the right way. They struggle with the simplest solutions. They always find a way to alienate themselves and alienate fans. And let's just say I'm not confident that they are going to be able to handle this smoothly. And um, I, my hope or uh, excuse me, my worry is that we're going to look back two weeks, three weeks, a month, two months from now. And how MLB handled the situation, I'm afraid we're going to look back and say that's not what you should have done. Memo to the three leagues, do the opposite of what baseball did. Because MLB has already, three games in, put their season in jeopardy. So I hope, I pray, that this can be handled in, a, in, a, in the right way, in a safe way that allows for games to continue while also ensuring player safety. But like I just talked to Tom Thibodeau's hiring with the Knicks, hoping and praying is not a strategy. You're you're in big trouble if that's your go-to move here to, to ensure that uh, that protocols are being met and that safety for the players first is paramount. So get your thoughts again, Worldwide Sports Network on uh, on Twitter, w- or excuse me, WWSRN underscore Radio on Twitter, Worldwide Sports Network on Facebook if you're on the app. We appreciate you, first of all, downloading WWSRN for iOS or uh, World Wide Sports Network. If you have Android, write in the app. we we'll read those comments as well, um, Well, and we'll see. But hopefully baseball can get it figured out. So, again, if you're a Knicks fan, do you like the Tom Thibodeau hiring? Is it the right direction? I'm concerned with the direction they're going in. I hope it works out, but I don't have much faith. Um, and I believe in two years and three years, we'll be right back in the same spot. Hopefully, in the same chair, talking to you guys out right here on the Worldwide Sports Area Network, but with the same conversation. All right, Tom Thibodeau, didn't work out. Couldn't get the Knicks to the promised land. Couldn't get, you know, could overcome just the horrific culture that is just encapsulating the Knicks. And we're back here talking about who they should hire and who is truly the, the right uh, the right hire to get the Knicks going again. So, again, if you want to talk about Tom Thibodeau or baseball, World Art Sports Network on Facebook, WWSRA underscore radio on Twitter. So like I said, the Seahawks made a big trade here the other day uh, acquiring Jamal Adams from the Jets, giving up two first-round picks to get the safety, and it seems, or you would assume, they're going to pay him at some point. The reason why Jamal Adams was traded from the Jets was because of his contract, uh, contract dispute. He, was, he did not get a contract extension. He won and won, didn't feel the organization was truthful to him, forced his way out, and now he's on the Seahawks. Seahawks going all in, trading two first-round picks for a safety puts a lot of pressure on them to win. So, it got me thinking, who has the most pressure? Which NFL teams have the most pressure on them going to the 2020 season? Whether it's super bowl or bust, whether it's hoping to find the direction or hoping to find a franchise quarterback going forward, I think there's five teams that have the most pressure on them going forward, and I'll tell you which team has the absolute most pressure more than any other team to um or that they are facing, excuse me, they're facing coming into this year. We'll start with the Buccaneers. I mean, it makes sense, right? The Buccaneers go all in for Tom Brady. This is Super Bowl or bust for them when you sign a 43-year-old quarterback for, yeah, at best, we think they have a two-year window to try to win a Super Bowl. And really, honestly, anything short of a Super Bowl would be a disappointment. I don't think Bucs fans, if they look back on the Tom Brady era 10 years from now, and let's say there was one NFC title game and another playoff appearance, or even two NFC title games, maybe even not even a Super Bowl appearance, I don't think they would call that a success. I understand the Buccaneers, you know, since 2002, haven't had much success. Haven't sniffed the playoffs that often. But when you bring in Tom Brady, when you surround him with weapons like Rob Gronkowski, you have Mike Evans, you have Chris Godwin. The The expectation is to win and win a lot. Well, let's also not forget, Bruce Arians has already retired once from the Cardinals a few years ago. I don't think it's safe to say he's here for another even five years. So this is really, the Buccaneers have a two-year window for them to really capitalize and really try to have a, as much success as possible. The time is now to win. So for them, it's expectations are Super Bowl or bust. That's why I think the, uh, the Buccaneers have a ton of pressure on them. Same, with the, same thing with the Saints. This is really Drew Brees' last chance to get another Super Bowl ring. They've had great regular seasons. They've had a lot of success, especially in the Dome. they put up a ton of points, a ton of stats. Drew Brees is one of the most decorated and accomplished quarterbacks statistically to ever play the game. For the last few years, they've had brutal playoff losses. For all those great stats, for those historic records he has set, Drew Brees has only one Super Bowl appearance. Now, he won it, but only one Super Bowl appearance. He's a great quarterback. But playoff success has not followed him the same way regular season success and statistics have. Saints have a legitimate shot to win this year. Division got harder, but they have a great team around them. And this truly is with Drew Brees heading out retirement, flirting with retirement. This is the last chance to get Drew Brees another ring. I think they have a ton of pressure on him. Seahawks, like I just said, when you go all in on Jamal Adams, when you trade two first-round picks... And they have to pony up to give Jamal Adams an extension, whether it's this offseason or it's next offseason. You're going to pay a safety massive money. It's Super Bowl or bust. You have to get it done now because it's only going to get harder. As we know, the salary cap, the, the first-round draft picks are so important because you can get control of them for five years at a cheap price. Now, as we see, once you pay the quarterback, it gets a lot harder to put great pieces around them and have them compete. So in this two- to three-year window, but especially now in 2020, they have a ton of pressure on them to win. Similar to Drew Brees, Russell Wilson trying to get his Super Bowl number 2 win. Pete Carroll, same with Bruce Arians, not getting any younger. 69 in September. We'll see how much he has gas left in the tank, but the Seahawks right now are built to win and win now. Very tough division. They were very close to winning the division last year. But going all in now for Jamal Adams, giving up a lot of draft equity to do so. They put a lot of pressure on themselves. uh, So they are also a team with a lot of pressure. The Browns. Big year for Baker Mayfield. It's not a Super Bowl or bust. But they have a lot of pressure in there because they have to figure out what they have with their quarterback. For those of you who don't know, I'm a producer, weekend producer at CBS Sports Radio. One of the hosts I work with weekly every Saturday, his name is Ken Carmen, based out of Cleveland, hosted a local morning show in Cleveland. Every time we're talking about the Browns and looking at this year, they had another great free agency um, period, solid draft. The concern is, and the question marks about Baker Mayfield, the quarterback, is he the guy moving forward? Is he the guy we can rely on moving forward? And really, Freddie Kitchens was the one last year that led to most of the disaster that was the Browns. So there's a lot of pressure on the Browns, and specifically on Baker Mayfield. Year three is a big year. It's for him to show. Is he more like the rookie year Baker Mayfield? Took the team by storm. It was a shot in the arm. And put some energy and brought some energy back to the Browns? Or is he more the player last year? Struggled reading defenses. Accuracy took a dip. Didn't make the best decisions. The team is loaded. The offense line was better. Tight end group improved. Still have great wide receivers. There's really no excuse now for Baker Mayfield not to have some success. It's going to be a big year for Baker Mayfield. A lot of questions to answer. And he's a guy who's very confident, not afraid to speak his mind. We'll see if his confidence can match how he plays on the field. So a lot of pressure specifically for Baker Mayfield, but also the Browns. To bounce back from the tough year last year and play well. And finally, the team to me in the NFL that has the most pressure on them in 2020 is the Dallas Cowboys. Severely underperformed for the talent they had in 2019. Because as we know, the offensive talent is there. and They only got better at drafting CeeDee Lamb. You brought in Mike McCarthy, which in theory shall elevate the offense even more because the offense wasn't the problem last year. But you go from the conservative nature of Jason Garrett to a seasoned veteran, a guy who knows what it takes to win a Super Bowl like McCarthy, help develop Aaron Rodgers. So not only is there a lot of talent for the Cowboys to win, there's also a lot of talent or oh, excuse, me, a lot of pressure for the Cowboys when it comes to dealing with Dak Prescott. As you know, they didn't sign or didn't come to a long term extension. He'll play this year on the franchise tag and become a free agent again next year unless they franchise him again. That money, that contract is only going up. Will the Cowboys pay him? Can Dak show he has a higher ceiling with Mike McCarthy? Can Dak show he's the guy to lead the team to the Super Bowl? I don't think he is. A lot of questions with the Cowboys for me. That's why they have the team with the, they are the team, excuse me, with the most pressure on them going into 2020. A ton of questions to answer. They put a ton more pressure on themselves by not getting a long term deal done with Dak. So now really they set themselves up to go all in on twenty twenty and then reevaluate the most important position in twenty twenty one. So, is the Dallas Cowboys, or the Dallas Cowboys the team, with the most pressure on them heading into 2020? If not, which team is? We get your thoughts on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And when we come back, the number one seed, the upstart underdog, number ten, Mike Biseglia, 2020 Apocalypse. If you love underdogs, we got a great match for you. It is 2020 Apocalypse next right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
0: You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it's time to wake up with the morning boys. On Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And here's your, host, here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Ryan Hickey. Ryan Hickey.
1: And welcome back into the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. 1020, every single show we've been rolling here at 1020, 2020 or Apocalypse. We've gone through the regular season. You've gotten halfway through the Elite Eight as we have two, uh, two members already punched their ticket to go to the Elite Eight. And Lauren and Sarah. And now we look to punch two more tickets this week, today, and also on Thursday. We have a very, very intriguing Cinderella story brewing here. So if you're just tuning in for the first time, this is a matchup you are, you are really going to like. And it's going to be a lot of fun. The number one seed returning. Guy who crushed it in his regular season debut. The soon to be lawyer himself, it is the great Joe Pidell. Joe, welcome. How are you?
2: What's up? I'm good. How's it going?
1: We're doing great. We're doing great. Hopefully, you know, I know our baseball team's had a different, a little bit of a different weekend, but hopefully we'll still be able to watch some baseball uh, at, at this point, you know, tomorrow. Who, who knows? That's uh, not exactly the most encouraging sign, but hey, you know what? 2020 Apocalypse, we're keeping it loose. We're having some fun, I and mean, we won't let that get us down. Your competitor today, Joe, a 10 oh. seed. The man who has, again, already put the Cinderella shoe on. Got the last question right in the regular season just to get into the playoffs. Upset the 7th seed in the first round of the play-in game. The 10 seed, trying to channel, uh, channel the same intensity and cinderella that his Nets are going to have in the bubble starting this weekend. And it's the great <laughs> Mike Pasegla. Mike, what's up?
3: Hey, Ryan. How are you doing, man? Yeah, I'm looking forward to a Nets big playoff run. I have a lot of faith in Joe Harris. I think he's going to erupt. Become a top ten NBA player in this bubble. I'll look forward to that.
1: I think you, know, you can really give the Nets a lot of motivation and inspiration here. You win, you knock off the one seed. All of a sudden, now a guy who barely got in the playoffs is making some noise mm-hmm. in the Final Four. Maybe the hottest, you know, person in all the tournament. Maybe the Nets can have the same thing. You know, things are looking not great. Get in the playoffs, boom, and here come the Nets. Just take off. Can we? Can, we, um, can you be the inspiration? You think?
3: Yeah, I think so. And, and honestly, Ryan, my strategy has just been to go with what I know go with the opposite answer that I think is going to be wrong and it's paid off in the last two games. At the end, I'm like, that's not the one I want. I'll do the opposite, and it's worked.
1: Wow. How about that? The man who does the opposite, channels his great George Costanzo in the opposite. Exactly. Has worked out so far. We'll see how that strategy plays off. So as you can hear, you two on the phone at the same time. Since Joe is the number one seed, he will answer first for the first, or excuse me, every other question. Sorry, number one. So Joe will go first, and then Mike, you will follow up with your answer. And we will alternate going first um, for five questions, higher score wins. And if now we have overtime, three questions, and we will settle the score that way with a good old-fashioned duel. Fellas, are you guys okay. ready to go? Cool. Yes, we'll do it. sir. All right, it. I are under
2: pressure, but
3: I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> I, you weirdly do feel this, like, jolt of anxiety. I got to be honest. Really? I'm really playing mind games with my brain. Oh, yeah, I couldn't sleep last night. Oh, jeez. And now I'm we, here, and I'm like, you know, I'm, go- I'm going up against a soon-to-be lawyer. I'm like, what am I doing?
1: Wow. I, sleepless I nights. I was not expecting that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see who can, I guess, this, the nerves are both there, so we'll see who can channel them channel them best. A lot of poise on 2020 apocalypse. That is the big key here. Mm. Joe, we will start with you, number one. NASA is expediting a project that will give regular citizens like you and me the opportunity to fly to the moon and make it their permanent home by the year 2022. 2020 or apocalypse. This is a real project NASA is working on or no way this it only happen in the apocalypse, which, I mean, hey, I mean, I guess we're sort of in, but for, this, for the sake of this answer, it'd be fake.
2: See, so I feel like I remember something along these lines, but I just can't imagine by 2022, especially with everything else going on. Uh, I'm going to go, I want to say 2020, but I'm going to go with apocalypse.
1: All right, you're going with your gut there, going apocalypse. Mike, you've heard, you know, Joe speak it out. Are you going to go the opposite and say it's true? Or are you going to go the opposite in your own brain, and agree with Joe? Uh,
3: I think this is this is a real deal. I think people will be flying to the moon in a couple of years. So I think this is a real. This is a real thing going on.
1: Split answers means we only have one person get it correct, and that will be the number one C, Joe Pidell. This is correct. This is not real, not a real project NASA is working on, especially now working on by the year 2022. Um, I mean they, I believe they just. I mean, well, I know that they have stopped all their space their space travel. So yeah. not a not a real project. It is the apocalypse, bar. and that means Joe Pedal. start. Takes a one nothing. He has channeled the nerves early on. All right, Pasegs, we will go with number two. You will go first here. A California woman urinated on the floor of a. You, you're, excuse me, I'll restart. A California woman <laughs> urinated on the floor of a Verizon store after she was asked to leave for refusing to wear a mask. Twenty twenty
3: or apocalypse. Um. That's 20. That, that's real. 2020
2: is the real one, right?
1: 2020 is the real one. Yes, sir.
2: Yeah, that's real.
3: All right. Mike is saying that
1: is real. Joe, what are your thoughts? I'm
2: with them. I think that it has to be real. People are crazy.
1: <laughs> People are crazy. This year has been anything but normal. And you two are correct. This is a real story. And a California woman, I, I don't know w- what gives you the urge to say, you know what? I'm going to get back at them by peeing on the floor. But that's what she <laughs> did. Asked to leave. And she uh, countered by
3: urinating, relieving herself. That's- that's the first story, Hickey, in the twenty that we've done, I actually knew the answer and didn't have to guess. Really? You sound <laughs> yeah, confident. I knew that story. You yeah. sound confident, I, I, I don't have... want to give it away. I know. Yeah. Now I'm thinking back, I should've like played it out like a little strategy. I should have been like, Well, you know, I, I, I screwed that up. I was too quick on the trigger. That's a lesson learned. That's why I'm a ten seed and not a one. But oh well. <laughs> that... I think
2: Rob Young even said it, how like there's definitely more of a strategy for this. you don't want to give it away. Right, exactly. You got to be got like, you got to play it out there. Bad job by me.
1: Funny. Strategy pay didn't bad. Listen, either way, you both got it right. Maybe Mike too confident, we'll see, but that's part of the, that's part of the yeah, that's why I love having everyone on the phone at the same time. Bring some real <laughs> strategy just like baseball with the extra inning rule. We're bringing more strategy into this game, making it tougher. But in that note, you two are both correct. Joe Pidal still with a 2-1 lead going to question number 3 and Pidal, you will start off answering first pirate attacks have doubled in asia due to the coronavirus specifically to the virus 2020 apocalypse
2: oh my god that's a tough one <laughs> that has nothing to do with anything uh, i want to like make logic out of this but i don't think i can um all right so pirate attacks have doubled in asia yes since, since the coronavirus started. yes
1: and it's I'm being tied gonna... specifically to the to the virus itself. Since the virus started infiltrating, especially Asia, these pirate attacks have increased.
2: So I, it's funny because I don't know how many pirate attacks in Asia actually happen because I just always hear about them like outside of Africa. But so I can't really logic make any logic out of this. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go true. Why not?
1: All right, you're going 2020. Besegs, what are we thinking here? Uh, I
3: agree. I think it's true as well.
1: You two would both be correct. This is true. They say because global trade has lessened that a lot of these cities have become poorer, and now pirate attacks have doubled to get some money, get some food. But specifically because the coronavirus has really slowed down a lot of global trading, they have partnered that with these pirate attacks. So that's why, specifically thanks to the coronavirus, pirate attacks have increased double the amount in Asia. So not really a good time if you want to drive a cargo ship, I guess.
2: Yeah, keep the pirates over there.
1: (laughs) Keep the pirates over there and not here, that is for sure. All right, Joe, you're up three to two. Two questions to go. Besegs, you will go first here for number four. A town in Ohio is changing the town name to Fauci in order to honor Dr. Fauci's work during the pandemic. 2020 or apocalypse?
3: Apocalypse.
1: Okay, there we go. (laughs) What are we thinking here, Joe? Gave you nothing there. I gave you one word. I don't know if that gave it away or helped uh, concrete your answer. But Mikey um, B sounds very confident in Apocalypse.
2: Uh, okay, so I'm trying to. It's a very split party kind of thing with him. So I'm trying to think if that could play a role and who would actually change their town name to that. Um, I'm going to go. I'm going to go true.
1: All right. Split answers, Besegs is correct. The one word man himself, very confident. Whether you throw Joe off intentionally or not, it did work. Besegs, you are correct. It is the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. That is not that not, not a real thing. No Fauciville coming to Ohio.
3: <laughs> and now, I thought I, I, thought I saw that Flavor Town might be coming to Ohio. Non-diners, drivins, and dives. Oh, I saw that, but I didn't see the Fauci Town.
1: So anyway, Flavor. Wow. Guy Fieri getting a town named after him first before Dr. Fauci. How about that? Ohio loves, loves uh, honoring those who are who make big differences in the world. Let's just say diners, drive-ins, and dives have done that. That is for sure. But now, gentlemen, we have ourselves a duel. Three to three. One question correct. A lot of strategy here. We'll see what happens. If we have a tie, we will go to overtime. Piedell, you will go first for the fifth and final question of regulation. Okay. A doctor has claimed to have completely stopped showering and has ditched every personal care product like deodorant and moisturizer, which she says actually improves the overall body's health. Is, is this real? And has he shown it? Or is this fake? Twenty? Oh, excuse me, fake. Only happened in the apocalypse. Stopping showering, stopping wearing deodorant and moisturizer actually helps uh, make your body healthier. 2020 or apocalypse?
2: 2020.
1: All right, Besegs. What Now, what, what's going through your mind here? Cause you're going to be the last person to answer. Do you go say the same answer to draw a tie? Do you go apocalypse to get a winner here? What do what we think? What's going through your brain?
3: What's going through my brain is uh, I'm going to go apocalypse. Um, normally, I, I'm just going to go, again, with my strategy and see if it works. I want to say 2020, but I'm just going to go with the opposite answer, so I'll say apocalypse. All right. That 50/50, means 50-50. So. 50-50, we <laughs> will have <laughs> a winner. Too.
1: And unfortunately, your Cinderella ride has ended. It is true. Um, it is 2020. A doctor wrote a book even. someone how he stopped showering, ditched every personal care product. It actually helps overall health, including especially with your skin. But overall health, he, he says, um, and has scientific evidence to prove that has increased because he stopped showering. This is a real story. And thus, mm. the one seed, Joe Piedella, the man very nervous about coming in here, does, evi- does uh, go to the Final Four. Well, you will face Lauren Clark—a little one versus four matchup in the final four. Padel, oh congratulations!
2: Thank you, thank you. The show goes on.
1: The show goes on, Besegs. I, I, you know, we all love Cinderella. We love a good underdog. I know, low key, I was rooting for you to keep it going here. I, I'm mm. sorry we have nothing for you, um, but we appreciate, you know, <laughs> appreciate you coming on. We appreciate the opposite uh, thinking, and hopefully, mm-hmm. you know, we'll uh, we'll do it again soon.
3: Yeah, it was an honor. Uh, I was great going up against the number one seed. And, I, and I, the way I'll be looking at this moving forward is, you know, you, the man that beat you, you got to be rooting for him moving forward so you can say, you, you know, you lost to the best. Uh, certainly today was a challenge. I think there's, there's more I can learn and grow from and become a better competitor and maybe just study the web and understand your sick brain a little better, Hickey, and I'll be ready. <laughs> Hopefully, I guess we're not playing this in 2021, but we'll see. If we are, I'll be ready.
1: That's a good point. Hopefully this is the one and only season. Uh, of 2020 or apocalypse. If we had to do 2021 or apocalypse, yeah, like I said, uh, we're in, we're all in, in big trouble here going forward. But again, uh, Pidal congratulations. We'll see you in the final four. Enjoy the win. Awesome.
2: All right. Thank you guys.
1: Thank you, fellas. Always, always, a, always a blast. Always a blast. There is the one seed, Joe Pidal himself, fights off and eliminates the Cinderella story, the biggest story so far and the greatest story. If you love upsets, if you love Cinderellas, which we all love March Madness for that, right? We all love the Florida Gulf Coasts, the George Masons running, wreaking havoc, upsetting the uh, the favorites. But Joe Piedel, the number one seed, not intimidated and continues to go on. He advances to the Final Four. We will take on Lauren Clark. We will finish the Final Four. Three of the four have cemented their place. Rob Young, Cody Enos, the two versus the seven matchup on Thursday, as we will finish and, and get a Final Four ready to go by this time. On Thursday, so we can congr- again, we appreciate Joe and congratulate Joe. We appreciate Mike for for playing and having a great run. That's for sure. When we will come back and we'll finish off the show. Jamal Adams traded, he wanted out from the Jets. He got his wish, and now he's a member of the Seattle Seahawks. Kind of we'll discuss the trade with with the great Errol Marks, president of World War II Sports and Eric, big Jets fan. because so as you know, Errol is no is not short on uh, on opinions. So I'm sure he is very fired up. And we we'll also talk about player movement player movement, especially now in the NFL, is becoming more and more popular. Is this a good thing for sports and a good thing for the NFL? We'll discuss that with the Morning Boys. Ryan Key, return right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
0: You're, you're, you're listening to the World Wide Sports Radio Network. It, it's time to wake up with the Morning Boys on Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And here's, and your, here's host, your host Ryan Hickey. Ryan Hickey.
1: Ryan Hickey. And welcome back into the Worldwide Sports Radio. Eric, Right here on this Monday morning, a very, very busy Monday morning. You had baseball start. Hopefully, it could continue. It's the Yankees and Phillies game officially postponed for tonight. Marlins: 14 players and coaches have tested positive for coronavirus, a total outbreak so far, um, and really the worst-case nightmare scenario. For uh, for baseball, as they have to deal with that. We'll see the uh, w- what happens in the fallout if a season can continue or it'll be put on, on pause. So far, Marlins game postponed, Phillies and Yankees game tonight postponed. The Knicks hire head coach. The Jets trade Jamal Adams. Just a, a ton, a ton happening. You know, for three or four months where we're without sports, and now all of a sudden, sports comes back and the levees just completely open up. No one to rather finish out the show with. No one I'd rather talk to than the great president of the worldwide sports network, Jets fan himself, baseball fan himself, Knicks fan himself. It is the great Errol Marks. What up, Errol?
4: First of all, I, I don't need that uh, that great um, reputation over there because I, I am not one of those people. But I am a big, I am a big baseball fan, a big uh, Jets fan. But uh, I sit back and I relax and I enjoy the show. I love your show, by the way. Your show is great.
1: I appreciate you listening, and I'll give you the ten dollars for for saying that after the show. Thank you, man. But,
4: yeah, uh... <laughs> yeah, I love it. You are, By the way, if anybody doesn't know about Ryan Hickey, Ryan Hickey is a, a great talent. I'm so happy that he's with us, and and uh, the Morning Boys, the Morning Show is 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 not it's not without Ryan, the network wouldn't be moving the way it is. So uh, I I appreciate everything that you do, and uh, you're you're an up and coming talent, and uh, I'm happy you're with us.
1: Well, I, Errol, thank you for the, the words. Like I said, now I'll just double double that uh, that payment for sure. I'll slide you a crisp 20 next time I see you. But uh, always was a blast being on the network. But now, Errol, I mean, you're the guy I'm trying to talk to here. We'll start with Jamal Adams because that's obviously, you know, uh, I feel like you, you yourself, very opinionated on this. Finally trade Jamal Adams to uh, to the Seahawks for two first-round picks. A decent haul. Um, what are your thoughts here? Do you, do you like the Jets trading Jamal Adams in general? Um, and what's your overall thoughts about how he handled this, uh, this situation these last few months?
4: I was talking to a lot of different people, and a lot of people thought that the Jets were not going to get two first-round draft picks and a hole like they got from Seattle. A lot of people believe that the Jets were holding uh, Jamal Adams until the right, the right position happened and, and the right offer happened. And I think Seattle knew they had to pull the trigger on this because, uh, Jamal Adams spoke about Adam Gase. He took a shot at Adam Gase and everybody knew that the Jets were trying to move him after that happened. So I, I, I think the Jets absolutely fleece Seattle and you got two first round draft picks in 2021, 2022, you got a third round draft pick in 2021. You got, um, Bradley McDougall, who's a, he's a very good safety that you can plug into uh, a defense, and you, all you gave up was Jamal Adams and a and a fourth round draft pick in 2022, which could be a late fourth round draft pick in 2022. And Jamal Adams has spoke very abruptly about the New York Jets organization, and he took shots at Woody Johnson when we don't know the truth behind it. On if he did say what he did about the sexist and. Um, racist things that he said over there in England. We don't know the story if the story is true. We don't know all that stuff. But Jamal Adams has been wanting to get out of there for a very long time. Last year, you heard it from uh, a couple of sources that he wanted to go to Dallas. Uh, Then he all of a sudden said he wanted to be a Jet for life. And then he gave the Jets um, pretty much a list of teams that he'd be interested in playing for. So I don't think Jamal Adams wanted to be a Jet. I think the fact that he... After he got traded to Seattle and he, he spoke to the Jet fans, I think it was an all out lie on what he said to the Jet fans. To me, it was disgusting on how he was talking about the organization so throughout the two years he's been there. Well, three years he's been there, but the last two years, the Jets really took a chance with Jamal Adams, even though he was a high draft pick. There were six teams that passed up on Jamal Adams. There were reasonings there were reasons why they passed up on Jamal Adams. Jamal Adams is a very Strong personality, has his own thoughts to things. And, again, as much as I love Jamal Adams as a player, I don't like Jamal Adams as a person. So uh, the judge fleeced them. Joe Douglas, you saw what he did in the draft this offseason. He, he, everybody said that he had to reconstruct that offensive line. He had a f- six or seven offensive linemen, including the, the t- uh, their first-round draft, Ben Beckham, uh, who sh- is going to show you guys why he's mean and why he's going to be a, an excellent tackle in the league. And he, he added a wide receiver in the second round, maneuvering, trading down, trading up with uh, Seattle the way he did, and then all of a sudden trading with the, the, the New England Patriots for two fourths and a sixth next year. He has been what the Jets needed. This is, this is, and I said this two years ago when the Jets brought in Joe Douglas. The best acquisition they made in the offseason was not C.J. Mosley. It wasn't Le'Veon Bell. It was Joe Douglas. This guy knows how to construct a team. He's been around winning teams and winning organizations. Two-time Super Bowl champion with the Baltimore Ravens. One-time Super Bowl champion with the Philadelphia Eagles. This guy is a smart guy, very well respected around the league, and a great talent evaluator. It was a steal. Look what the Bears did, Ryan. Look what the Bears did. The Bears traded the Bears, Bears traded a couple of years ago for Khalil Mack. Yep. They got two first-round draft picks from Oakland. That is it. That's all they got. The Jets got two first-round draft picks, a third round, and then uh, Bradley McDougall who is a good player at his position. So when you look at the big picture, who's better, Khalil Mack or Jamal Adams?
1: Right, you look at the I'm positions they play, too. Right? Like yep. Defensive end, the outside, you know, defensive end where Khalil Mack plays is more impactful, more important. You give more money to that player than you would a safety. You know, let's be honest. Safety is... Well, I mean, I, in terms of position, I mean, importance, not, not that high in the list. You know, you, you can do without having a great safety. You need plenty more positions that are better first before you get to safety, which I'm with you. That's why I like, I honestly couldn't believe what the Jets got back. I, I was kind of, I, I kind of flip-flopped here, I'll be honest. I was against trading Jamal Adams because I, I hate, for me at least, the thought of, of trading a player, a transcendent. Like, he's one of the best safeties in the league, don't get me wrong. So it's hard to just draft someone and, and get close to or even better than the player you draft. With, with the draft picks you get back. But to get two first-round picks, like you said, for a guy that Jamal Adams is great. I like the leadership he brings. I think he's, he does bring a lot of um, – he's a great leader in the locker room. I think he's one of those guys you want um, as the face of your team. But uh, I, when it comes to the Jets, I mean, I'll say this. I think Jamal Adams um, got what he wanted, which is, uh, which is important. And I'm curious. I want to go your thoughts here. Player and because this is kind of what I want to kind of talk about when it comes to Jamal Adams. As we see, as we know, the NBA is a league dictated by the players, right? They say what they want to happen. If they want to get a trade, most likely they get traded. Now we're seeing more and more NFL players kind of dictate their terms and actually get what they want, get traded, get released, and go somewhere where they can have a chance to win. Do you like that players have basically more power? Because that's essentially what Jamal Adams did. Jamal Adams, through the media, through his voice, forced his way out of New York and got himself to a situation where you look, Seahawks are going to be super Bowl contenders for – Next, what, three, four, five years? So you think he he was a big winner there. Do you like the player empowerment kind of coming into the NFL now and becoming more prevalent?
4: No, I don't. And I I look at LeBron James, he kind of transitioned the game, adding the three stars to a team. Everybody says, well, the Celtics, you know, the Celtics did it. No, the Celtics made trades. They brought in free agents. That's how they added Kevin Garnett. Polkius was ready there, and they brought the jet in. And, and, and also Ray Allen was there, and, and the, the way they built that team. The problem right now when you look at the professional sports and the way professional sports is, is moving, it's now become a business. It is all about a business. What are you going to pay me? What am I going to get out of it? How am I going to make the money that I deserve if I stay with this team and take less because I wanna, you want to build a team uh, to make a, a Super Bowl or a winning franchise? So I, I don't like the way Jamal Adams was acting, and you could see Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Le'Veon Bell backlashed at the whole Jamal Adams thing. He backlashed at him. Oh yeah. He said, "Listen, you 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 brought you you talked me into coming to this organization last year in the off season, raving about Adam case, raving about Joe Douglas." And, and all the acquisitions that they made, and that we're, we're in it to win with the New York Jets. I'm here for the long haul. And then all of a sudden, a year later, you're talking about how Adam Gase is a joke, that he is not the guy that we can win with. You're taking shots at Joe Douglas. You're taking shots at the executives, the ownership of the organization. And then you're demanding trades. Why would Le'Veon Bell be happy about this situation? When you see the whole big picture here, Le'Veon Bell came from Pittsburgh. He could have went anywhere else. He came from Pittsburgh to go to the Jets because Jamal Adams talked him into coming to the team. So, if anything, you'll love what Le'Veon Bell says because Le'Veon Bell said, you know what? We're going to show you. We're going to show you what we're all about. So, Jamal Adams is a joke. He should, in, in a long run, just like Landon Collins, he's going to get the money. He's going to get what he wants. But is he going to produce just like when the Jets paid Mohamed Wilkinson and how he didn't produce. Let's see if Jamal Adams can do what he did in a very hard NFC.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, Especially that division. Oh, my God. The Rams, now the Cardinals come up and rising. And you obviously have the 49ers there sitting. It's going to be... The Seahawks are gearing up, which I, I do respect. And they're trying to go all in now the next few years. But like you said, it's going to be especially from the safety position, it's going to be a lot, lot tougher for him going against those offenses and going against those quarterbacks than it was maybe the last few years here in the NFC East when you're playing against the Bills and you're playing against the Dolphins. Obviously, you have Tom Brady there, but it was, uh, it's definitely going to be a tougher task for Jamal Adams' uh, for sake as a, as a safety for sure now in the NFC West. See, I'll say this. I actually, I actually do like the, the player empowerment kind of coming into the NFL more and, and kind of um, working because, I don't know about you, I'll, I'll, I'll throw it this way. I feel like it holds organizations, coaches, GMs, owners more accountable than they did in the past. And this is what I mean by that. If you aren't hiring maybe the right guys, maybe, I mean, who knows with Adam Gase, let's, the first year was not great. Obviously, there's some out, you know, underlying circumstances there I think made his job harder than when he envisioned it when he first, you know, first took the job. But if Adam Gase is truly not the right guy, if his leadership is truly that bad, as Jamal Adams says, Joe Douglas— I like him as a player evaluator. We'll see how he is as a negotiator. But it sounds like he led Jamal Adams on when it comes to a contract. And as you know, Woody Johnson, you know, his ownership has been uh, not great, let's say. And I was, I was these latest accusations now just add on to that. So I feel like personally it almost holds organizations accountable because now if you aren't doing the right things to try to win, if you aren't treating your players, you know, the way they want to be treated, I feel like, you know, players should want to leave. Like your, your career, especially in the NFL, more than any other sport, your career is so short. You have just a small chance to earn as much money as possible and try to win as much as possible. If you truly want to win, if Jamal Adams truly wants to be on a contender, and other players want to be on contenders, and they want to force their way out of bad bad organizations and try to do what's best for their career. I think it's almost a good thing because now you know you see guys like Jalen Ramsey force his way out of Jacksonville. Trent Williams got his way out out of um, out of Washington. Like those are organizations that for the most part, historically, haven't been successful and have been run the right way. So now, if you aren't doing the right things, players aren't going to want to play there. And now, just because you draft someone doesn't mean that they have to stay there the whole time. I kind of, for me, I feel like it holds teams, coaches, players, I mean, excuse me, coaches, GMs, owners, more accountable than if, basically, you had to write out your contract, you had no say, and you could cry and and complain all you want, but nothing's going to get done. I don't know about you, but that's at least how I kind of feel it helps hold teams accountable, which as fans, that's what we want, right? Don't you want the Jets to be as best, or best run as possible and have the most success? So at least if players are, you know, if teams are paying the price for not being run correctly, not being run efficiently uh, and hiring the right people, they should pay the price, and that should serve, hopefully, for the ones that want to win and truly are in it to win Super Bowls, should get, serve as a wake-up call to say, hey, we're doing something wrong here. Let's look at what we're doing to try to improve it. So players, the next Jamal Adams we draft at any position, doesn't have the same sort of, you know, we don't have the same thing happening in a few years. Do you, do you, do you agree with that thought at all or no?
4: Yes, I do. And, and you make some quality points. And you also forgot about Mika Fitzpatrick. He wanted out of Miami. He got yes. Traded to Pittsburgh.
1: Yes. Right. He uh, didn't like the direction of the tanking, and he he got out. It's a good call. It's a great call.
4: Mm-hmm. And, and you look at the, you look at Jamal Adams right now, and you know this more as much as I do, Ryan. He's going to a Seattle team that their offensive line stinks. They they traded well. They they let their best offensive lineman went go to free agency to The team that he played for, the New York Jets, George Font. This is an offensive line that's not strong at all. Their secondary is better with him. But their front seven last year, let's be quite honest, and, and Clowney's no longer there. They traded away Clark. This is not a good front seven. This was this team was built on defense, built around Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is not protected. Your front seven is not as good, and it's not as dominant. Now that Clowney and Clark are not going to be there. What are they going to do? This is still a team that has a lot of holes. So the Jets could have gotten gems right now, because I'm going to tell you this. If, if Seattle, Seattle's going right now this year, that division is stacked. And that NFC East, I mean, I'm sorry, that NFC East, Tennessee as a whole, it is stacked from top to bottom. You're talking about Tampa having Tom Brady. You're talking about Atlanta being better this year. You're talking about even even though I don't think Carolina is going to be a good team, they're going to be a challenging team because they have a very good run team, a running game. So this is a this is a a, um, a league where it's completely transitioned to what it was last year. Even though Seattle was great last year, I don't trust that Seattle this year, even with. Dick Carroll's a year, uh, year older as a coach. He's the oldest coach in the NFL right now. He's even older than Bill Belichick. And this is, this is a team that's kind of re- trying to find himself again. They're trying to build a new legion of boom. And, and I, don't, I just don't think that the quality of talent that they have in the secondary, even with Jamal Adams, is enough to say that they're going to be a Super Bowl contender in the NFC.
1: I just still like the roster, but also the thing working against the, uh, the Seahawks, like you just mentioned, the NFC is so deep, right? The AFC is really a two team league with the Chiefs and the Ravens. NFC has so many different contenders. You can argue, you can point to five different teams right now that legitimately can make the Super Bowl out of the NFC. It's just, it's that, that much, like you said, every round of the playoffs is just that much harder, and it's uh, that much more of a crapshoot. Right, well, since we're on time, I just want to get th- this before we get out of here. Uh, Nick's hire Tom Thibodeau. Is this the right right move, right head coaching hire in the right direction they're going in? Or are we going to be talking about the new head coach in two years from now and three years from now?
4: Guys, go read my story in November of 2019. I wrote a story stating that Tom Thibodeau, this was when Phil Jackson was there, Tom Thibodeau will be the next head coach of the New York Knicks. Wow. You called it, huh? uh, Yes. I almost said it almost 10 months ago. Speedy talks about it all the time. He said, you called it. I also said that Jamal Adams was going to be traded for two, two first and a third or a fourth. And Mikey C argued it over and over again. There's no way they're going to get a haul like that. He was wrong. I was right about it. I'm not always right, but I'm <laughs> right sometimes. So t- do I like the move? I didn't like Jason Kidd. Jason Kidd, I don't like oh. what he did off the field. Uh, Eric Coleman, you know, me and Eric were arguing about this on the uh, Weekend Crunch on Saturday. I won a 3.9. I uh, I didn't like I didn't like the fact that they were very interested in Jason Kidd. I really liked Kenny Atkinson. I really did. If it wasn't Tom Thibodeau, I wanted it to be Kenny Atkinson. I like Tom Thibodeau because he's a drill sergeant. He's a guy that's going to push the players. A lot of people think that he doesn't really develop players. You can't say he doesn't develop any of players because he developed Derrick Rose. He developed Butler. All these guys that we saw, even Noah, he developed those Chicago Bulls. Did it work over there at the Timberwolves? He was the GM of the team. He was running the team and he was the head coach of the team. It didn't work over there. He brought Jimmy Butler in there and helped their uh it helped their growth of the team with Andrew Wiggins and, and Carl Anthony Towns. And you saw one way or another there had to be somebody that had to be out. It was it was obviously Tom Thibodeau after Jimmy Butler was gone. So do I like this move? I love this move. I wanted Tom Thibodeau from the beginning. I didn't want Mark Jackson. He hasn't coached in seven years, and he he, he does a lot of things off the field that makes absolutely no sense. And Jeff Van Gundy, as much as I love Jeff, and I, I, I adore him as the head coach of the New York Knicks in the 90s, Jeff Van Gundy has not been a head coach in a very long time since Houston. So I didn't want him either. So Tom Thibodeau was the guy. He's the guy that I want he's the guy I wanted when Phil Jackson was coaching the team. I, I didn't want Jeff Hornisack. And everybody knows the whole story behind Tom Thibodeau. He grew up in New York. He grew up with the Knicks coaching staff. He grew up under Pat Riley, Jeff Van Gundy, and Stan Van Gundy. Okay? This guy is a born Knicks fan. He always wanted to be the New York Knicks head coach. He had three chances, three GMs that interviewed him over the years with the New York Knicks, and none of them took a chance with him. Now, Rose took over. He gave him a chance. And I believe this is a great move for the New York Knicks.
1: We're in agreement in locks. I thought Kenny Ackerton personally was the guy because the thing I worried about with Thibodeau's hiring is that the path they're going down and what they want to happen is try to reach the playoffs like ASAP. And to me at least, what Kenny Ackerton did in Brooklyn, developing and building a nucleus from the bottom up to where you build a solid core of players that now all of a sudden are one or two star players away. To me, that's how you actually get big-time stars, whether it's free, free agency or trades, to the Knicks. And my concern is that now we're going to go back down the same route we've always been hearing for the last decade. It feels like we're going to, we're going to love free up cash space. We're going to make a run at the next big-time free agent, whether it's Giannis in 2021 or insert any big-time free agent here. We're going to make a run at them. And then what happens, they go to another team, and the Knicks are like left picking at the pieces, signing Julius Randle, and then claiming that that's the plan they had all, all along. To me, that's why I really like Kenny Atkinson. They have a lot of young players. I think Frank Neal Keenan has talent. I think Kevin Knox has talent. I like R.G. Barrett. I like uh, Mitchell Robinson. But those players are young and need to be developed, and that's the area the Knicks have struggled in the most. They've been terrible. They've been always in the lottery conversation. And the only player that actually worked out, where they developed really well and became a star, was traded away in Chris Porzingis. And that's at least my frustration, is that they've struggled mightily when it comes to developing young talent and building a core. And instead, they've always gone for the Band-Aid, the quick fix, and it hasn't worked. And I, my concern is at least with the Thibodeau hire compared to others like uh, Kenny Atkinson, they're going down that same path, maybe a tiny bit different, but the the overall idea is the same. And unfortunately, again, whether it's in two years, whether it's in three years, we'll be having the same conversation because the Knicks have, have failed to sign a big-time star. They've failed to develop the young talent. They'll be drafting young again. I mean, they'll, they'll be drafting high again this this draft. and I have the same question, the same conversation we are going to be having. And it's just like, it's the definition of insanity, Errol. I, I'm done. I, I need something new, a new idea, because the one area they have yet to go down is the player development route. They've got You know, that's, that's the one area they really haven't tried in trying to turn the Knicks around. And I feel personally that's the best way to actually bring stars in and actually turn the team around. But for whatever reason, James Dolan's not patient. He doesn't want to do that. What, whatever. He, just, he thinks the Knicks are better than they truly are.
4: James Dolan, Ryan, you know James Dolan didn't want Tom Thibodeau. It was Rose. It was Rose. Tom Thibodeau was not James Dolan's favorite when they were interviewing him uh, with Phil Jackson, with Jeff Hornacek. He didn't want a guy that was going to take – he demands respect from the locker rooms, demands respect from the executives up from up top. I think Tom Thibodeau is going to be a great coach for the Knicks. I think it was a fallout over there with the Timberwolves. Wolves. I, I wouldn't have given him the GM position and the head coach, head coach position. It didn't make any sense. Why they did that, it affected the team. It affected the growth of some of the young players because of it. I think Tom needs to concentrate on the team and the player development. I think if you look at Derrick Rose before he got hurt, look at Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler showed you when he came into the league, he was an offensive talent. He he, he transitioned into offensive talent because Tom Thibodeau pushed him to play back and forth, defense and offense, and and actually develop a shot. So I think Tom Thibodeau can develop players. I think he fits the culture of the New York Knicks, and we need a hard-nosed guy. We haven't had a guy like that since Ben Gunn, since Pat Riley. I want a guy that's going to be – he's going to drop the hammer on the players <laughs> if they're not going to play defense and do the things that they're supposed to do on the court. When have we seen a New York Knicks team play defense?
1: Seriously. When uh, was the
4: last time we yeah.
1: – I agree, Errol. When we've seen the last time they were actually successful either. It's been uh, – unfortunately, not it's true. been not it's true been true. too long – Hopefully, I'm, I'm rooting for Thibodeau. I hope it happens. I'm personally skeptical myself, but I hope, like I said, we have, we'll be talking some Knicks basketball here in a few months and uh, be talking about how much success they're having. But, we'll obviously, that's, that's uh, a lot of hope there. It's a lot of hope, but fingers crossed we'll be having some sort of conversation. But, Errol, I appreciate you coming on, man. Weekend Crunch every Saturday night, 7 and 9 on 103.9 right here on Long Island. Down to the wire, six o'clock tonight. Errol, as you hear, very opinionated, first time on the Worldwide Sports Network since the Jamal Adams trade, since the Thibodeau hire. He has a lot to say. Down the wire, six o'clock, right here on the Worldwide Sports Network. Have a great show tonight, Errol. Thanks for coming on, man.
4: Well, great. I'll tell you guys, fans, everybody that listens to this show, this is this is one of our top shows on our network. Brian is a fantastic talent. Happy that he's with us. I want him to grow with us. I want him to be a part of the growth of where we're going in the future. Ryan, your show is amazing. I, I want you to know that. So I really appreciate everything that you do, and keep it up, man.
1: Thanks, Arrow. You're the man. Thank you, buddy. Later, bro. Later. The great Arrow Marks, as you hear, very, uh, very happy about the Jets draft. Oh, uh, excuse me, the Jets trade, and also higher, happy with the Tom Thibodeau hiring. And I hope, I hope he's right. I really do. I'm skeptical myself, but I really hope Arrow's right, and we have uh, some positive Knicks basketball to talk about. That's going to do it for this show. We appreciate you tuning in. We appreciate uh, and congratulate Joe Pedell on moving on to, uh, to the Final Four of 2020 Apocalypse. We will crown a, final, a fourth and final contestant going to the Final Four on Thursday. Hopefully we'll have some baseball to talk about by the time we're on the air again on Thursday. But enjoy the rest of your week. Stay safe. Stay sane. We'll talk to you Thursday night. Or Thursday morning, excuse me, right here on the World Wide Sports Radio Network. It,
0: it, it's the worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network.